Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me Neil Mathorpe alongside Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. We'll look back at England's ODI series whitewash in Australia and ask why on earth it was played in the first place. ESPN Crick Info's Osman Samiuddin joins us to discuss Pakistan's test squad for the three-match series against uh, England next month uh, as there's no place for Hassan Ali, Farwad Alam and Yasir Shah. West Indies legend Sir Richie Richardson also discusses the plight of the current side and we react to the news that Nicholas Puran has relinquished the white ball captaincy. We'll also discuss a new head coach for England women and a new selector for the men's side, so plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Right, well, let's talk about uh, England's form and what we learnt. I have to say, Harmy, that the biggest piece of learning that I took from it is that I had no idea that Jude Billingham was so good. Yeah, exactly. He was unbelievable, <laughs> isn't he? Yeah, I was seeing this I seen the scoreline half you know, six two at the end of the game and half expected Joe Root to walk out in the in the in the middle of the stadium in Doha. You know, when they were all going Jude they were singing saying Jude as they do the the Barmy Army do Root. Um, the scoreline suggested that Joe Root was going to walk out to bat in the middle of the stadium in Doha. But no, what have we learned? To be honest, manners, I'm not bothered. I've really not. I've said this, I've been working on the TV on it, and my honest opinion is the three matches, nobody really wanted to play them. The Aussie supporters didn't want to go and watch them. If anything, it helped Australia more than it helped England. But this is going to be the norm, I think. I really do. and I think in the next six months, 12 months, 18 months and beyond... These bilateral series are going to look like this, where teams going to other countries probably aren't going to prioritise the, them three fixtures because it seems to be three one days here, three one days there. We're going to have the same in South Africa in just in the, in the new year. You know, what team are we going to send to Bangladesh? It's not going to be all singing, all dancing. Mark Wood, Jofra Archer, two spin bowlers. You know, they might the, the spin twins might go, but I I I I don't believe our best side will play until the World Cup and I think that's what's going to happen more more as we go on year upon year that bilateral series is, will be meaningless and the World Cups will mean everything and you'll see the best teams play the World Cups and you know if to fulfil fixtures I think this is what's going to happen we had we had a stadium of 14,000 in it, Adelaide, 14,000, 15,000 in at Sydney. And I don't know how many was in it at Melbourne, but there didn't look that many. There didn't look that many. So Australians aren't really interested in, in it either. Um, their bowlers were fantastic in the third game. Warner and, and, and Head Smith were excellent for them. There's a few of our lads fluffed the lines, given a chance to perform. 
but I, I feel sorry for them as well. You know, James Vince haven't played since September. Jason Roy haven't played since September. And you've got Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark, Josh Hazelwood. You know, these guys are proper bowlers in their own back garden. And you you throw them out off the back of maybe a couple of nets because once the series started, they played in Adelaide, they travelled the next day, they played the next day, they travelled from Sydney to Melbourne, it was hailstoning, didn't really got, they got in and out of nets, they played the next day. So when you haven't had a bat in your hand or you haven't played a, profe- a professional game since September... That's a big ask against this bowling unit and especially away from home. So Ollie Stone got wickets, but he didn't bowl very well. There's one or two others that probably could have done done with it being a better mentality around the series to help them hopefully forge a claim for that World Cup squad. But that, that World Club squad now, for me, is more or less penned in and five or six and won't play possibly won't play a one day game until the World Cup starts so what what did I get out of this series not a, not a great deal what we did get we went to Australia for the for the main reason is to win a World Cup we did it and that's fantastic so nothing should diminish anything what Joss Butler's side did a week ago at um, at the Melbourne Cricket Ground which was the main objective of the winter so far was to win the T20 World Cup and they did that fantastically well it's the only objective of going to Australia, Absolutely. I think, to be honest. Uh, just before we move on, Harmy, playing this series and bilateral series in general, um, when there was less international cricket being played around the world, it, that was fine. You'd have a bilateral series and England against Australia, you know, at the beginning of a, of a test series or on a, on a regular tour, um, was always going to attract a crowd and it's going to attract interest, not just in the two countries, but around the world. And I have to temper my language and, and remember that, um, you know, there are young and, and influenced younger listeners. But that did the game no favours whatsoever. I felt desperately sorry for, for Joss Butler. You know, he was conducting his post-match interviews with his hands in his pockets. He was clearly disinterested. The shot he played in the third game was just of a man desperate to go home and I just think it does the game absolutely no favours whatsoever apparently there were a thousand people in the MCG for that last game and it's all about fulfilling contractual obligations Cricket Australia make a deal with a with a broadcaster for X number of international days per season and they have to deliver them but but that was awful that was just no kind of spectacle whatsoever I felt desperately sorry for both teams yeah 100% agree and that's why I've be slightly critical of some of the uh, little bits in their performance because at the end of the day you still have to have a little you have to have professionalism you're representing your country and there's a fine balance between representing your country and being a total farce and there was times yeah that 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 series was a a total farce England could have gone with a younger side but then that would have caused a lot of problems at the end of the day them three games these three games that were were scheduled were no good for anybody they weren't any good for anybody. The only you know, fulfilling of a contractual obligation to a broadcaster is the only thing it was. You know, Pat Cummins sent he he missed one game. He sent his little premier fast bowler away to get ready for a test match. Ashton Agar went to play in a in a in a chairman's eleven. Ashton Agar went to play for in a four day chairman's eleven game at Canberra, I think it is, against the West Indies instead of playing a one day international at the MCG. That tells enough about the home side. And I totally agree. If you were just looking at the series as an isolation, shots that were played, interest levels from some of our top, top players, you know, the likes of Moen Ali and, and Joss Butler, you could be critical, but I'm not going to be critical. Not one bit. These guys won the World Cup. But they're not there under protest because they're playing cricket for England. They're still representing their country. But at the end of the day, that was a stupid ask for me um, off the back of a, of a World Cup. Yes, we didn't know we were going to win the World Cup. We didn't know that. But at the end of the day, we're coming. Home, they're coming home, and I tell you what, I will not think any less of Josh Butler, Mo and Ali, or any of the senior players for what they've just given in them three games because of what they gave the country the week before. They won the T Twenty World Cup, and that was the most important thing to do. So, yes, they can, they can, you know, they can moan about to the board and to Rob Key and say, look, how has this happened? But at the end of the day, they've got, they've done it. They've got on a plane, and they're now coming home. And hopefully, fingers crossed. Once the guys come back from Pakistan, we can celebrate around Christmas time the fact that we are double world champions. And Joss needs to take a huge amount of credit for that. 
Okay, let's just finish this section on the subject of David Warner, who scored his 19th ODI 100 in that third game. Um, This uh, review of his lifetime leadership ban has been dragging on and on. Uh, He has said recently, I'm not a criminal. Uh, You should get a right on an appeal at some stage. Uh, It's been so drawn out. It's been traumatic for me and my family and everyone else that was involved in it. Um, I find it quite hard to conceal my distaste for the man on the field, Certainly, um, as I, you and I have both said, uh, you know, there's there's the opponents that he's played against who now make a living um, talking about him at after dinner speeches. <laughs> Let's just hear a, a little clip from him about his future. The goals are winning World Cups. So they've got a World Cup next year, then the next one's in four years' time. So I'll be 41. You know, I don't know if I've got that long left in me, but um, it'll be time for the next generation of players. You know, Hedy's obviously one of those players who will make that next World Cup. It's about giving those people opportunities to actually, you know, cement their team in the uh, spot in the team and have that goal of and aspirations to play in that World Cup. So, who knows? I might have a second win, but um, you know, that's my goal at the moment is to get to that World Cup, play as well as I can, and and we'll see from there. I get the impression David Warner knows how to play the game. <laughs> he did it with the big bash uh, when he said that he was going to go and play in the ILT20 in Dubai, and the big bash said, "Oh no, hang on, hang on, hang on. how many hundreds of thousands mm. do you want?" And I think he's playing the game again there, David Warner. I mean, all of my um, instincts say that uh, the lifetime leadership ban was a very hastily but very sensibly (laughs) placed um, sanction. But uh, but I also think that probably, as he says, he's not a... A criminal. Yeah. But, um, I guess, you know, he just doesn't want that label there, doesn't he? He wants to walk away being unbanned from leadership on a point of principle. Yeah, and I think just listening to what he's been saying over the course of the last week, I believe in second chances. You know, I'm David Warner's on to his 45th second chance, to be fair to him. But even still, you know, he's saying the right things, he's doing the right things. Me and Matty Pryor joked off the back of the, the third one day at National, it was like, if you didn't know him, you'd like him, wouldn't you? So, you know, there's a lot of people, like you say, making their after-dinner speak- speeches on him. I, listening to what he's saying and what he's been, what's been written about him, I don't think he wants to captain Australia. I don't think he wants to captain Australia. I just think he wants to captain in Australia, a big bash side. And I don't think there's too much... I don't think there'll be too much harm in that if he's captaining a side of of younger players trying to and if he's seen this or he'll never see the error of his ways but he knows there's a line he can't he can't cross because he's he's crossed it too many times before and I think if they did lift the lifetime ban and he could captain a big bash team he would have to be on his best behaviour for what he says is he's only got 12 months left really in the game so we'll see on that one it's a touchy subject because you know some people will say and rightly say that he shouldn't be in a leadership role, but I always believe in you know seeing the good in people, even in David Warner. And look, he, would there would it be any harm in captaining a, a T Twenty side in in Australia? I don't think he wants to captain the, the 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 national team because I think that would then cause too many problems for other people. I also think there's a, a good few of his teammates who are sweating on his book if and when he writes <laughs> it when he does when he does walk away because yeah. that. Because he, he was not alone at Sandpaper Gate, which led to that uh, lifetime ban. Anyway, uh, that's a subject that will run and run for sure. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Still to come, we'll be joined by ESPN Crick Info's Osman Samyuddin to look ahead to England's test tour of Pakistan as the hosts named their squad for the three-test series. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison as we build up to England's test tour of Pakistan at the start of December. Uh, Before then, though, on Friday, we'll be releasing a special podcast on the following on feed as uh, John Norman sits down with esteemed cricket writer Gideon Hay to discuss his new book about uh, one of the great Pakistan bowlers of all time, Sultan, a memoir of Pakistan legend Wazim Akram. And uh, before... Uh, we do that. Here's a brief snippet in which Gideon discusses a phone conversation he had with another Pakistan great, Imran Khan. It was a fascinating experience to speak to Imran while I was doing this book. He's, as you can imagine, 
quite a hard man to get a hold of. And I made multiple, multiple attempts uh, fruitlessly. And then one day Wasim rang me and he said, um, Imran will be on this number at 10 o'clock Pakistan time tonight. Call it. I said, right, that's exactly what I'm going to do. It was in fact three o'clock in the morning Australian time, but I duly rang it. It duly rang out. And I was just about to go to bed. The text comes through, call me back in an hour. It was actually the night that um, Imran's party won the election in the Punjab earlier this year. So he had back-to-back party meetings before he spoke to me. But the minute that his voice came on the phone, it was like being addressed by, well, God. (laughs) He's this magnificent, rich Pakistani voice with this kind of Oxford undertone. Very, very considered, very thoughtful. And actually, he wasn't slumming it. He, He wasn't sort of... He slipped back immediately into the role of being Wasim's captain and Wasim's coach and Wasim's guru and talked about him very frankly, very affectionately, but uh, but but also strangely sternly. And, and you can imagine what it would be like to be a young Wasim in the presence of, uh, of, of Imran. He's got a voice that just commands attention, a presence even on the phone. That uh, that makes you feel like you're in the um, in the presence of of someone superior, someone important. That was John Norman in discussion with Gideon Hay. And the reminder: you can hear the full podcast on Friday. Now, as promised, we're joined live by uh, ESPN Crick Info's Osman Samirin to talk about uh, the Pakistan tour. Uh, Pakistan have named an 18-player squad. Some big names missing, obviously. Shahina Freedy, who was injured at the T20 World Cup, would be a massive loss. Uh, some new names, some uh, unfamiliar faces um, and some fairly familiar ones who've been dropped, Hassan Ali, Fawad Alam and uh, Yasir Shah. So, Oz, what did you make of the of the squad? It's a big one. It is a big one. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I, I think, more or less, as with most squads around the world, you know, the, the bulk of them, uh, the, the bulk of the squad is is fairly kind of picks itself. But I think there's a couple of nice new names in there, a couple of droppings. Shaheen, you know, we kind of knew that he was going to miss out. And I think the interesting thing about Shaheen, which maybe isn't out there in the public so much, is that he would have probably rested from the series anyway had he not been injured in the final of that, of that World Cup. Um, I, I think they were planning to kind of manage his his return from a knee injury, which maybe casts a little bit of doubt on why, you know, how much he played at, at the tournament itself and why he was playing. But they were going to him anyway for the series, so so he's out, and that's a big loss. You know, he, he's he's probably he is their best bowler across all formats. Um, and like you say, Neil, there there are a couple of interesting names in there. Abrar Abrar Ahmed, uh, you know, the the first kind of mystery spinner Pakistan have had really ever. Um, he is, you know, I think you put him down as leg spin, but he he does a lot more with the ball, <clears throat> um, similar to Ajanta Mendes in a way, uh, and some some other kind of carom ball, you know, the finger carom ball bowlers. Uh, and Muhammad Ali, who I, I think Pakistan are looking at as a as a kind of uh, slightly quicker uh, version of Muhammad Abbas um, uh, on on those surfaces, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll discuss them a bit more. But yeah, it, it's it's mostly a squad that you kind of you know would have would have expected with a couple of uh, newish names in there. It does when you talk about the surfaces and you know players that are in, but I think we have to go right back to the you know the very start, which is this is an England tour for the first time since two thousand and five. Like, like, that long ago, I was on that trip. So yeah, seventeen years is a long time for England not to go to Pakistan for obvious reasons and right reasons. What does this mean to cricket? More than more than anything else, cricket's huge in Pakistan, but the wider world of cricket that you know, Australia went last year, England are coming this year. What will that mean to you know people in Pakistan, but also the wider world of cricket? Yeah, it's massive. You know, England are, are kind of the middle of three big tours. Really, so Australia were the first ones who who came here. You know, Pakistan last year, and they had come after even like a even longer break than this. You know, they're twenty seven, twenty four years, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, and right after England, two tests from New Zealand. Australia and New Zealand, I'd say, have been even more reluctant tourists to Pakistan. And England have been actually have been pretty good. You know, obviously the last this last gap that they've had of seventeen years. 10 years of it was wiped out because of their terrorist attacks on the on the Sri Lanka team. So, you know, them them coming here is is massive. These three teams all of all within a year essentially uh, is a game changer for for the amount of cricket that's going to be played in Pakistan. You know, once once these stores go off, 
uh, and you know, fingers fingers crossed, touch wood, they will go off without any incident. Once that happens, then I think we are into kind of a full normalization of cricket in Pakistan. I don't think then that there is any, you know, unless the situation gets worse, of course, over over the next year or so. But I think once these two tours happen with with New Zealand and England and Australia's last year, I think we're back to how we were. I would say kind of the mid 2000s when you know the teams were coming. England came, of course, in that time, 2005 and six. India. We're coming. I think India would be the last one, but that, that that's that's a rabbit that's maybe too big to pull out of any hat right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would say that's a wishful thinking. Um, you mentioned mm. Mohammad Abbas there. He just signed a new two-year contract with Hampshire. Uh, their supporters would be surprised, perhaps. Uh, is he available for selection, or is he like the kind of Sunil Narayan who's sort of informally unavailable? No, no, he's 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 very much available. I think Pakistan have kind of made their choice with Abbas. Uh, maybe a year or so back in that I think they think that on the pitches of Pakistan, he will not be uh, as much of a threat because his pace has, you know, even over the last, I'd say three or four years, and, and Steve will know better about this, but even when your pace drops from about kind of 82, 83 to 77, 78, that makes a bit of a difference, I think, especially in the kind of bowler that he is. And by the way, I, I meant that, Steve, not as in you were a guy who used to bowl 77 to, to 82, but I'm as thinking, a guy who knows bowling I'm well. thinking I'm like that now, never mind. In, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's more, I think, you know, just that the fact that he's he's kind of getting on and he his pace has dropped so much that I think they feel, you know, if, if he's useful anywhere, then it's probably England. Where he, you know, and he's proved over, on the county circuit over the last several years that England is kind of the place where he, he bowls his best game. Um, more than anything. There was speculation, wasn't there, about uh, the first test being moved from Raul Pindi uh, because of um, political unrest there. What is the situation, as far as you're aware? So, you know, we've been speaking to the PCB, of course, just in the course of the job. Uh, it, they are going ahead with Pindi as, as as things stand now, as we speak right now. I, I just feel that it, it is still uncertain. I, I, I will not be surprised if there is a last minute switch to Karachi. You know, Karachi is part of the backup plan. Uh, there is a backup plan in place and Karachi is hosting the first test in that. I just, you know, the political situation in, in short is that Imran Khan is leading this protest march uh, against the incumbent government. He is in the opposition now, very popular. There was an assassination attempt on him, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and he's he's going to lead Martin to Rahul Pindi, which is where the first test is, and then with a view to taking it to Islamabad next door. These protest marches generally take days and days and days. You know, they're they're slow moving, slow moving things, um, and, and there will be unrest. And, and I think he's due to arrive in Rahul Pindi on the twenty seventh of November, which is I think the day. England arrive or, or, or the day after England arrive. So it's one of those days. I, I think England arrive on the evening of the 26th and he's supposed to arrive in Pindi on the 27th. If you just think about the amount of security that that long march will require, especially with the assassination attempt on Imran Khan, and then if you if you think of the security that will be required for the test match, it, you know, it just seems like there, there's, there's a lot being asked of security forces there and they might all be comfortable if they move it to... Karachi, but just a quick subtext here is that the the government in place right now, I I think, and I'm no political analyst, but I think what they're doing is by insisting on the test going ahead in Pindi, they're trying to show that Imran Khan is not such a big figure and not such a disruptive figure. And I think they've got that wrong. You know, the the kind of support that he has is insane. And I I just, it'll be some feat of logistics if they manage to pull that test off, if if the long march goes ahead as planned right now. And Osman, the, the the surfaces that we're gonna have, we Raupindi or Karachi, whichever one we we go to first, then we go Multan, then we definitely go to Karachi for the third test match. <laughs> that seventy seven mile an hour you ex- you were talking about before. You know, when I looked at Pat Cummins last year bowling on them surfaces, he looked as though he would eventually get to seventy seven mile an hour because they were unresponsive. Are we gonna see them sort of wickets again? Because the, when you look at England's side You've got one fast bowler in Mark Wood. You haven't really got any mystery when it comes to spin. Will pa- Will Pakistan think right? We're going to play England on a wicket where if we get a boatload of runs, we'll win the game because we've got a bit of mystery, a bit of mystery spin because England don't tend to get four fifty plus scores. Yeah, that's the big. I think that's the big question: is what the surfaces will be like. Uh, you know, last year Australia surfaces, everyone knows what happened. Very flat, and Rahul Pindi especially was an absolute road. 
um, and, and you know, things only got slightly better. And it took essentially a superhuman bowling effort from, from the likes of Cummins to kind of force a result in that series at any stage. I suspect Pakistan will play a little safe again because I think you know, the, the default stance in Pakistan is that our batting is suspect. Uh, and, and so we need to kind of negate that by making flat pitches. But I think, again, like last year, I think that plays into England's hands. Because if if, if England go all basball, um, and I'm sorry, you know, I apologize for using that 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 catch that catchphrase again. But if if England do continue playing the way they did, and that's not you know necessary because I don't think they're I think they're smarter than just going out and bashing the ball. I think they're a lot smarter than that. They showed it over the summer. But I think those kind of pitches will play into. Uh, England's hands and and if Mark Wood, for example, stays you know fit and 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 able to kind of bowl throughout the Test matches, then you know he he will he will play a role. If they go for you know more spinning surfaces, I don't even know how much it is in their control with with weather conditions the way they are. It, you know it's expected to be a colder than usual uh, winter. Uh, there's going to be some rain about. If they play in Pindi, there'll definitely be some rain about. There's some unseasonal winter rain happening in Karachi last week. Um, all these things will play some kind of role. Plus, you know, whether the curators can 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 kind of give them the pitches that they want. Um, I, I think they're going to hedge their bets. I think they're going to worry about losing Shaheen as a pace option, but they will kind of try and put something in it for for guys like Abrar if they pick him. Um, they, you know, we talk about Mark Wood. Pakistan have got their own kind of pace monster in in Harris, who. Has played very little first-class cricket, to be honest, but he had, I think, four county games for, for Yorkshire this season, and he bowled nearly 130 overs in then. So, you know, people were worried about how much he can kind of hold up his body with that kind of load. But, you know, he, he got through a lot of overs then. Um, so they'll have that option as well there. I just feel like with, with Ramiz as chairman, with, with Barber as captain, it just feels like a, they'd, they'd rather play safe than play to their strengths. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, guys. Pleasure, as always. That was ESPN Crick Info's Pakistan cricket writer, Osman Samiuddin. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and two-time county championship winner, Steve Harmison. Next up, we'll hear from West Indies legend Sir Richie Richardson ahead of the Test Series with Australia, which starts later this Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available, as always, via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, time now to hear from West Indian legend and former captain Sir Richie Richardson. He was at the World Travel Market at the XL Centre in London, representing the Antigua Tourism Board 
I caught up with him earlier and began by discussing the post-pandemic recovery of the Antigua Tourism Board. Uh, Sir Richard, you're at the, the World Travel Market at the XL in London this week. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing there? Well, basically, uh, we're here to um, promote uh, Antigua and Barbuda, beautiful Antigua and Barbuda. Um, we are attached to the Antigua and Barbuda Tourism Authority. And um, we're here basically to meet and greet people, to promote how beautiful our country is, to talk about our beautiful beaches in Antigua and Barbuda, how warm and friendly our people are, you know, how much you can come to Antigua and have a wonderful time, stay at some wonderful hotels, eat some wonderful food, and a wide range of activities to keep you occupied throughout your time. But if you just want to chill, if you want to do a circumnavigation, uh, we have several boats. Uh, if you want to have party cruises, we have several of those. If you want to go and swim with stingrays or turtles, we have all that. If you want to go and uh, do hiking, all that. Spear fishing, deep sea fishing, snorkeling, just about anything that you can do in the sun, uh, we have that to offer. Plus, we've got wonderful um, rum, the Antigua English Harbor and Cavalier rum, the best in the world. So you can always chill in that. Um, you know, and we have some skilled bartenders who can make uh, various drinks from these wonderful rums. And um, yes, and uh, we just love having people from overseas coming to our shores and making sure that they have a wonderful time. I can promise you I feel privileged and honoured to be amongst those who don't need to be convinced, um, having been lucky enough. Uh, to have toured, but you're making the hair stand up on the back of my neck with those memories. It's been a tough couple of years, hasn't it, for Antiguan and Barbuda and with the pandemic? Yes, most certainly. Um, the, the entire world was affected seriously by the pandemic, but I think we bounced back very, very well. We were we were the, fir- the first country to open back up um, to the outside world and have flights coming in. And I, I think that we have handled the pandemic very, very well. We have had uh, record numbers uh, in the last few months um, after the pandemic. Um, so you know, credit to the people in um in the industry in Antigua, credit to the government of Antigua and Barbuda, the frontline workers and everybody, you know, who put their backs to the wheel and uh, made sure that uh, we were able to bounce back as quickly as possible. First of all, we we I thought we managed the um the the the, the virus very, very well. We were able to control the numbers, um, even though we had people coming in. So um, yeah, I'm very proud of our performances where that is concerned and, um, and we've paid dividends because we've had people coming back in very quickly and our numbers have been shooting up. It is disappointing that there isn't an England test tour in the next uh, future tours programme, but there is still a lot to look forward to. England will be there in December 23 for eight white ball games. And of course, um, you'll be co-hosting uh, the next uh, T20 World Cup. Yes, um, we love having um, England in the Caribbean, especially in Antigua and Barbuda, um, because they would fill the stadium and we give, give them, usually give them a great time and they, they love coming there. So um, we just have to wait until, until the next time around. But uh, yes, um, there's other teams coming and there's a lot of cricket going on. But uh, as I said, England is, is the biggest draw for us um, economically as well. It's very, very good. And the people generally love to, the banter with the English. Um, and the fun that they have and, and English would sort of like mix in with the culture, um, drink some rum, beer, go to rum shops and, and stuff like that. And it's just beautiful. It's just a wonderful experience, even as locals just, you know, um, having encounters with, with, the, with the British whenever they come to the Caribbean. So we're a little bit disappointed that we're not going to have them for test matches um, just in the near future. But I'm pretty sure down the road they'll be back. I have to ask you um, about uh, the West Indies at the T20 World Cup not making it into the main section of the draw. I haven't spoken to anybody yet who can put their finger on a reason why. There's no shortage of talent. Phil Simmons is a very, very fine coach. What's your theory? Uh, I, I don't think I have enough time to talk about <laughs> <laughs> And also, um, you know, I'm a match referee, ICC match referee, and um, I have to officiate in, you know, in these matches with the players. So uh, I have to be very neutral um, and be very careful what I say. Um, but, um, you know, there are a lot of dis- disappointing people in the Western is uh, the players themselves are disappointed. They want to do, to, to do better. They know that they can do better. And, um, and I'm sure that uh, the powers that be um, are doing some research and, you know, digging deep to figure out what needs to be done going forward because, um, you know, when you travel around the world and you speak to cricket fans, they're not happy that Western is not strong because they said the game is not the same when, when Western is not strong. So, you know, the authorities back in the Western have got to do something to get uh, Western cricket back where it ought to be.
Is the love and the passion for the game still there? There's a perception that because the West Indies team isn't performing well, that the game isn't in isn't in good health. But it doesn't seem to be a shortage of talent. No. Um, the thing is, obviously, um, people are despondent that the team is not doing well. So a number of fans will sort of like maybe not pay attention. But cricket is embedded in our genes. And um, they still love going to, to the games. And they still love supporting West Indies, especially at the moment in the, the short shorter version. For instance... Um, the CPL is very, very popular. So, you know, whenever the, the CPL tournament is happening in the Caribbean, it's like carnival. Um, so cricket is not going to die in the Caribbean, I don't think. Um, we just need to find the, the way to really um, bring it back. For me, I think we've got to invest at the grassroots of our cricket. We've got to get the foundation really, really solid and build from there. And uh, basically, that's what, that's what I think it is. Just a couple more, if I may. Um, I've talked about the T20 World Cup coming up and the England uh, men's team. Actually, uh, there's a, a tour even sooner than that, um, which uh, Antigua and Barbuda will feature very prominently in the England women coming for three ODIs and five T20s. And I think Antigua's got the first six games. Oh, yeah, well, that's that's nice. Um, you know, I, ladies cricket is growing tremendously. I'm very excited about that because... Um, I've always wanted to see the, the game grow. I've always wanted to see the game become a globalized sport, fully globalized sport, compete with soccer. And um, and I've seen that in, in the last few years, um, it's been growing where women's cricket is concerned. I think the ICC has been doing a tremendous job to promote female cricket around the world, giving the, the, the women, the ladies, uh, as much rights as, 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 as the men. And we see in Australia, um, the women are being paid the same as the women, and I and I and I support that because you know um, they're out there, they're they're training the same way the men train. They're they're working as hard and they're giving everything. And you know, I think in the recent World Cup, Women's World Cup in the Caribbean, the 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 numbers, um, the television viewership um, was comparable to to men's cricket. So you know, women women's cricket is attractive, is attractive, is attracting um, a, a lot of fans and sponsorship. So we have to treat them equally and me personally i would pay money to watch women play i'm not too sure about the men you know i find women's cricket very very exciting uh, technically the women are very very good of, of course they some of them might not be as strong as the men but in terms of technique commitment um and stuff like that you know i think they are up there with the men and finally you gave a brilliant description of uh, of the pleasures of Antigua and Bermuda right at the beginning. I'm going off script here. I'm going to ask you to give us two or three places or things to do that people absolutely must see and do when they go to Antigua and Bermuda. Just a few days ago, a friend of mine who was a, um, a fellow band member, um, he started a, a business and I went to launch it with him where he has about 15 um, go-karts and he does um, like mountain rides, and um, it was the most exciting thing I've ever done. We've been through, we've, we went through the mountains of um, Antigua and Barbuda uh, on these buggies, and um, it was so exciting. We stop along the way, we go through farms, we have fruits, we had pineapples, watermelons, we had um, rum punch uh, along the way, and uh, we just went almost cross country um, through all of the back roads, through the, the hills, and and the mountains and, and waterways and stuff like that. And it was very, very, very exciting. We ended up on, on a beach uh, where we had a little swim before we went back. And um, it was really exciting. Uh, of course, um, you know, we have Nelson's Dockyard, which is a heritage site. Um, and um, it, it's a very exciting place. Uh, it, it reminds you of uh, way back uh, when the pirates used to be um, in control. Um, and um, it's, it's, it's just a beautiful place. Some nice, really old buildings. Um, of course, we have a lot of beautiful beaches. And if you go to Barbuda, you, you can experience some uh, pink sun. I've never seen that anywhere else um, around the world. Um, I think there's Princess Diana Beach, which is the sun is mainly pink. Um, we have Devil's Bridge. There's just a number of uh, other sites. Uh, we have um, Betty's Hope. And um, of course, you can go and, and swim with uh, stingrays and, and turtles and stuff like that. And um, there's endless amount of things to do in Antigua and Barbuda. So, Richie, thank you so much for your time. And it's I trust an that many pleasure. thousands of people will be booking air tickets as a result. Of well, I'll be there waiting for them. <laughs> thank you, Richie. Thank you. It was West Indian legend uh, Sir Richie Richardson speaking to me at the World Travel Market on behalf of the Antigua Tourism Authority. 
That was uh, a little while ago, Harmi, before news that uh, Nicholas Puran had resigned as uh, the West Indies white ball captain. Uh, it was a position that caught him by surprise. It was an appointment that he wasn't expecting. Um, and do you, do you remember when he was appointed, he actually uh, he was asked what type of captain he would be. And he said, I don't know. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't been one. Yeah. So he just looked like a fish out of water is probably not the best metaphor. But uh, it, it just didn't seem to sit sit well with him at all no it didn't and we would obviously we had the the england west indies series in sort of january and march and nicholas poran strikes me as you, you just got signs when you were watching nicholas poran on the field that he wasn't thinking too much about what was going on he was in a world of his own enjoying life um fantastic player i think he's there's there's a there's a lot more to come from from Poran and I think he needed like the West Indies needed a, a few more years out of Kieran Pollard but we all know what the politics is like in, in West Indian cricket and it's become very very difficult to find and nail down a structure never mind a captain a coach and a, and a, and a game plan moving forward through the red ball team and the, obviously the two white ball formats of the, of the game so it's disappointing that another excellent talent is Having a bit of a struggle with the authorities and his own his own board, um, will we see keep seeing Nicholas Poran playing for the West Indies? I hope so. I really do because I think there's some exciting, talented young players in the West Indies. They just need some guidance, and unfortunately, it's not going to be Nicholas who gives the guidance. And you just worry where the guidance is coming from because you know, Phil Simmons and, and and Kieran Pollard during that England series looked as though they were going in the right direction and then were literally within what less than 12 months there were a, a car crash at the uh, World T20 um, and the wheels had well and truly blown off You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me Neil Manthorpe and former number one bowler in the world Steve Harmison Right, round up of uh, all the other news uh, and there's plenty of it in England and around the world England women have appointed John Lewis uh, the former men's uh, bowling coach, as their head coach, replacing uh, Lisa Kitely. Uh, and his first assignment is next month against the West Indies. I, I've only ever heard good things uh, about him as a bowling coach, and um, he never made any secret of the fact that he was ambitious um, to pursue more head role coaches, and I think uh, that make, appointment makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does, and it's, uh, it's the next step on John Lewis's CV because he's worked with 19s, um, he's worked with the, the men's senior team and the and the bowlers. Um, I've got a lot of time for John Lewis. He's a good guy and he, he not, obviously knows his stuff. Um, the only one disappointing thing I had for him was when he, he called out Ollie Robinson because I thought that was a little bit of deflecting off possibly some of his failures when England got you know got beat heavily and, and didn't bowl that great in, in Australia. But I'm not going to... You know, hold him to that one little thing. I think he's a an, a, a an ambitious man who wants to coach at the highest level from a head point of view, not just from a bowling point of view. A little bit like Otis Gibson. So, yeah, I think it's a fantastic appointment. When I seen it, I was over the moon. I was like, "Yes, John Lewis has got the job, my mate." And then realised it wasn't JJ who <laughs> I played all them years with at Durham because John Lewis, the batter, the batter from from Durham and um, from Essex before that he was in he was coaching the women's team so as soon as I seen the headline I thought oh brilliant JJ's got the job and I was about to text him and then I seen a picture and I thought that's not my little mate who used to open a baton for Durham so look I'm sure JJ was in for it and he might be disappointed that he, he didn't get it I'm not sure if he's still working with the women in, in that but you know they've got a good coach there now probably similar to, to what you had with Mark Robinson um, and, and fingers crossed that Hopefully England go to the West Indies full strength and John Lewis can go off to a good start. The next topic may be one of the uh, more sensitive ones that we've ever covered. <laughs> and uh, I suspect there's a chance that you might prefer that I didn't ask you about it. But uh, for the sake of both of our credibilities, I am going to ask you about it. And I might even push you quite hard because I didn't see Luke Wright's name mentioned anywhere. And he was appointed as, uh, or he's about to be appointed as England's new uh, head selector. You were interviewed for the job and uh, there were a lot of people that thought that you might make some tough decisions and, and, and not shy away from the hard decisions. But Luke Wright, I thought he was still playing. I mean, hmm. I, I, he's they pulled that one out of the hat from somewhere. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm actually intrigued to know what the actual title the job title is going to be I, I'm not going to 
go massively into what was said between me and Rob Key after the, the interview process. I really enjoyed the interview process. It was hard, manners. It was tough. Um, Mo Boba and David Court give me a, a good going over, and I enjoyed that because I'm intrigued by their side of it. You know, some lazy punditry from me, probably at the earlier in the year when, well, last year when England were in India and Sri Lanka and the rest in rotation and probably didn't do enough homework on why I was sticking a boot in on why players were going home and how they went about picking their teams. But once being through this this process and having to learn and understand what the role is and how it works, I'd opened my eyes. I really did. And I'm intrigued by the side of I think the high-performance side um, and the scouting selection of the side, which is as good as the ECB's ever had. So I enjoyed that bit. I enjoyed being interviewed by my best mate. In the conversation after it, I think, or the, or the conversation in the, in the interview made me think twice about what this role was for me. Um, and if I'm brutally honest, it probably wasn't the role for me because there was part of the, the, the interview process was not going to challenge the captain or the coach on selection. And I get that. I really do. I think what's working now for England is 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 brilliant. The selection panel, the way they're picking the teams, the way they're going about their squads. I was not sure if they needed this role. So that's why I'm intrigued to understand if this is going to be a selector or it's just going to be a head scout because my understanding and my sort of conversations with Rob afterwards was you don't need to rock the boat at the minute because it's the, the boat's sailing very, very nicely. Ben and Brendan, Joss and Matthew... You know, forget these three one days. They're going in the right course of direction. So bringing somebody in and another layer on top of that who potentially might upset it, I wouldn't, but it might upset it. I can understand why the, you, you know, Rob doesn't want anybody to come in and challenge the captains or the coaches. I think this role should be activated probably after the Ashes once we've been away for the, the test matches that we've got, Pakistan and New Zealand away and, and the Ashes at home. Um, because there's a lot more, you know, choppier waters to come. But at the minute, as the interview was going, I was, this is not for me. Because, okay. and then the conversation between me and Rob, and Rob was, uh, he, he did say, he says he was obviously, he was concerned about having this conversation with me, that it wasn't me that was going to be getting the job um, because of our friendship. But that, that should never have come into it. Um, I think Luke Wright will do a good job. He's a, he's a great lad. He is, as what? As I think if he working with the counties, identifying, uh, helping work or overseeing what the scouts, scouting system, how that works, planning and you know, trying to prepare the Lions, the 19s, um, the pathway players that are coming through, um, his white ball knowledge. It'll be very, very good because I think that's, I think that's key to this, to this, this role that, that they're activating because I think that's what evolves quickly more than anything else. You know, we've just seen England get beat 3-0 in without um, our mystery spinner playing and without our fast bowler playing, our bowling attack, we, our bowlers didn't really look and they were the ones that, you know, have, 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 have done well for us. So it's going to be an interesting to see how this 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 role goes um, but I think it was it was blatantly obvious that Rob didn't want to give me the job because of it wasn't a role that I was suited to okay um, on the subject of selectors the BCCI has sacked all of theirs <laughs> after England thrashed them in the semi-final of the T20 World Cup Oh well, if, if in doubt, blame the selectors. Yeah, I'm, not keen, I'm, lot in. I'm not that keen on picking a team that much than going over and picking that one. So, <laughs> no, and, that, and that's just the that's look the nature of the beast. It's the way the world is at this minute in time. Everybody wants instant success, and that from from that point of view, man, is that's why I was so pleased I went through the interview process, and I'm so grateful for to Rob and to to Mo Bobat and to David Court for the way the, the interview process went because that opened my eyes. It will, it, will, it will give me a better understanding of the game, even if I never, ever worked for the ECB, just because of that short two or three days that I had to try and go for a role and then understand what the role was um, in, in the modern-day game and the way the game's going and you know, what they've got, what the ECB have got. I'm, I'm better educated for going through that process because I didn't think it was as... It, it was as complex as that, but it's you know, it's very, very good. And young players, 
in the game coming into the game. Uh, I think they've, you know, they've they've got a good system coming into it. It's but it comes down to the you know the, the nitty gritty is when it gets to the top, and if you don't perform in big tournaments, you lose your job, and that's what's happened at the BCCI. Other bits of news just before we uh, wrap up. Um, Liam Livingston pulled out of his BBL contract. Uh, because of the schedule of uh, two months, he preferred to play just the one month in South Africa's new T20 tournament, the SA20. Um, and the Perth Scorchers have lo- uh, terminated Laurie Evans's contract after he tested positive for a banned substance in August. Mm-hmm. Uh, still on the subject of Australia and the BBL, Mitchell Stark, funnily enough, do you know, four or five years ago, five or six years ago, players were criticised for going and playing in the IPL um, uh, and uh, at the expense of their domestic competitions. And <laughs> how the wheel has turned. Mitchell Stark is now being criticised for not playing in the <laughs> IPL, um, bizarrely enough. And he says, you know what, for the last four or five years, it's estimated to have cost him around between six and seven million dollars. Mm. Um, and, and he says that's a price he's willing to pay. And he also said that his golf handicap had uh, improved yeah. considerably, having 10 weeks off every year. No, and that's, to be fair, that's so refreshing. To, to, for a, a player to, you know, to to have that outlook in life, you know, you, you, he's got enough money to, to to live, to survive, and he's enjoying life. And sometimes jo- enjoying life is doing nothing. Sometimes it is doing <laughs> nothing. Yeah, I meant art. I was meant an art form of being very good at doing nothing. You ask my wife, um, and that's that's what you know Mitchell ha- Mitchell Stark's done. And the times that he's had in between, he's give his body a recovery. He's done you know very little, come play golf. You know his wife's they are married, I think. You know his wife Alicia Healy. Yeah, Alicia Healy. His wife is, is in cricket as well, so it's a, it's a tight schedule between the two. And they they enjoy playing cricket, but they enjoy the downtime together. And that for me, do you know what? That's more important than five million dollars. Well, that is exactly how much you deserve to be paid, along with uh, Matt Pryor, for having to cover that three-match ODI series. <laughs> Go and get some sleep, big man. Well done. Well done. You've been listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorp, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever else you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week where we'll be joined by England World Cup winner Liam Plunkett to discuss his new venture in American cricket. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 